1: I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest is the past owner of Glasgow Hicks Company. And, you know, I always mispronounce Glasgow, 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 because I lived in Scotland for two years, so I kind of get it messed up in my head, you know, when I when I say that. But Glasgow Hicks Company is now the NFP Property and Casualty Services Company of Wilmington, North Carolina. She holds a degree in international economics and accounting. She was the president of the Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina from 2009-2010 and currently serves on the board of directors of the North Carolina Insurance Underwriters Association, which is how I met this guest because we are... Both friends of Gina Hardy, the CEO of North Carolina Insurance Underwriters Association. And those are the boards you sit on. So that's how we got to know each other. So she is the founder of Nowpreneur. I love that, by the way. We've got Entrepreneur. We've got Intrapreneur. Now we've got Nowpreneur, which helps companies defeat marketing overwhelm with simplified marketing systems that produce profitable, reliable growth. She is an international and metaverse speaker on insurance, marketing, and business management and is the co-author of a business success journal, Straight Talk by Real People. She's the past president of the Wilmington West Rotary Club and currently serves as the flag captain of the Carolina Yacht Club and is a U.S. sailing certified race officer. This is a busy woman Please welcome the business growth coach Charlotte Hicks. Hi Charlotte.
0: Hi Dr. Gary. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm very honored to be part of this excellent series.
1: Well, you know, we we talked before and and we'll we'll get into this about your your path and your businesses and so on, but you know, you, you've you written a book, we've got marketing, you, you, you have degrees in international economics and accounting. And, uh, you know, when you, I always love this because when you really get to know people and see people, all of the things that you're involved in, they don't seem to have a, a lot of connection. It's just, you know, you You're a sailing cast certified captain officer thing, whatever that you got to explain what that (laughs) is. Tell me, tell me what the U.S. Sailing Certified Race Officer. I'm I'm completely ignorant of that. What is that?
0: So anytime you have a regatta or a sailing race, Hmm. you have a race committee and the head of that race committee is the principal race officer or PRO. And U.S. Sailing is the national organization that trains and certifies people to be PROs in races. So Mm. I have gone through that certification process. And so my summers, um, actually really it's from about March till December, which is much longer than summer, are involved in running sailing races as a principal race officer. And part of that is also developing the race committee with you to, to help other people learn how to become PROs as well and to run races, and uh, all the little bits and pieces you've got to have sorted out to make a race run smoothly and have a fair competition for all the sailors.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, this is fun. This is one of the best parts about what I get to do when I interview people is get to learn about all of these activities and interests and passions that that you have. But let's, let's go back. Let's back up here for a second and uh, talk about, because I, I think that where you got started, if I have this correctly, Was at EDS?
0: Well, initially I started in my family's insurance agency and worked there for a short period of time. We had an Mm -hmm. agency and a, a wholesale brokerage and worked there for a bit, then had the opportunity to join EDS. And interestingly enough, my dad was at the US Naval Academy the same time that Ross Perot was there who mm. Ross Perot started electronic data systems. So he had teased me as a child, like, well, maybe one day you can grow up and work for Ross Perot. And I ended up actually doing it. <laughs> so I, uh, I did, I transferred over, I uh, went to work for them and actually went in as their systems engineer development program, which was essentially boot camp for computer programmers. Mm. And I knew going in because I did have enough exposure to the military to know that a lot of training like that is mental and not technical. And they're mm-hmm. looking to see, can you work under pressure? And this was back in the day where cycles, batch cycles ran at night. So if the system went down, you had to get up at two or three in the morning and get it fixed under time pressure to get everything up and running. So when the customer came back to work the next morning, their computers were up and ready for business.
1: Right. So right. that's
0: what they were really testing. They're really testing whether you had the mental strength to handle that and the emotional stability to do that. So since I knew the game going in, I, I feel like I had a, a bit of a leg up. We lost more than fifty percent of the class that went through.
1: Mm, they couldn't take the pressure, huh?
0: They couldn't handle the pressure. They thought it was all about yeah. the technical learning, and I was like, "It's, it's no. This is all about the mental game."
1: Yeah, for now, for us, I we we all know who remember who Ross Perot is, and he became kind of famous and prominent with a lot of people, not because of his starting of EDS, but because he was a presidential candidate and used his billions to try to convince the American people of a more practical business approach to government and uh, affected the election that when when he was uh, going for president, didn't win. But uh, for some of the young people, I thought I would throw that in there that he was a third party (laughs) presidential candidate that was the owner and CEO of uh, EDS back in the day. So uh, interesting Mm -hmm. character, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I was actually part of EDS right after General Motors purchased them. They became part of General Motors and talk about a culture clash between a very entrepreneurial mm. company and a very long term corporate environment. Then, you know, after doing the, the the programming for a while, I had a neighbor who was uh, a tax auditor. And I started thinking nobody calls their tax accountant in the middle of the night. Maybe I ought to look into that. So I went back and got a degree (laughs) in accounting, became a CPA, and actually worked in corporate tax for the majority of my time at EDS. Mm. And loved that because in tax, you see everything going on in the corporation. And I mean everything because it's got to run through the tax return.
1: Yes. I I remember when we talked about that and you said, I love this, you know, tax accounting. I'm like, really? Okay. That's not enjoying something in tax accounting isn't something that we typically hear, right? But, (laughs) but it really, for some reason, it really resonated not, but was it really because of the tax accounting or was it because you got to see everything that was going on within the organization?
0: I I think it was more that I did get to get that big picture view, which I like. Hmm. I'm a high level strategy person. I like seeing a big picture, but also so much of it isn't just putting numbers on a tax form. It's doing tax planning. It's looking up court cases And looking up tax law and figuring out how can we take advantage of this opportunity in the tax code? How can how can we leverage what we know to give our company the best tax position that we can and the lowest tax effective tax rate? In fact, the last project I worked on for EDS was the spinoff from General Motors. I ended up rearranging their legal entities, saved them over $60 million in taxes on the spinoff.
1: And and you got ten percent of that, right?
0: Some somewhat Mm. less than ten percent.
1: Yes, I know. I
0: I would have thought ten percent was fair. Um, I think so. That was a fun project because there was a challenge there, and I've always loved a challenge. You know, can you solve this puzzle and get to a good result?
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the the, the culture change between EDS and IT company mm-hmm. and General Motors. What was that experience like?
0: Well, it was really dramatic because once I had gone through that training program, I got sent to Detroit to work mm-hmm. on a CAD CAM project. I was actually doing some CAD CAM programming um, at the GM Tech Center. And, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're just used to making it happen. Whatever needs to happen, we solve the problem. We act immediately and get going. Well, what would there? It was um, heavily unionized, as you know, the United Auto Workers Union. So, for example, for something as simple as two of us needed to work on some a programming issue together, and so you'd want to just roll your chair over to the next desk and sit down and look at the same computer screen. Well, I did that and almost got the tech center shut down the entire General Motors Tech Center, because you are not allowed to move furniture at all. And yes, and it has to be, it was a three-week lead time. You had this form that had to be filled out. Someone else had to do it. And I was just stunned. Like I'm moving a chair. I'm rolling a chair. I'm not even picking it up three feet away. Well, you're not allowed to do that. Like, you got to be kidding me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you have
0: to stand up if you're going to work on that same computer with that person. It's like This is ridiculous. I I, I had a tough time adapting to that and also seeing the difference between when you're a programmer or you're doing anything that requires deep work. You just work and work till you get to a point where it's a good place to stop and then you take a Mm -hmm. break. But not with the unions. It was at when the clock struck 10, the broom got dropped wherever it was. And the guy that's cleaning the facility is off in the break room. I mean,
1: that's right. Yeah, yeah. I worked for ten years in, in union environments with uh, Procter and Gamble, and Scott Paper, and that I had that experience once when we were doing some work as a as a young supervisor, and we were running a machine on a Saturday to kind of catch up on something. And at you know ten o'clock, it was break time. And they shut the machine down and well, wait a minute, we've got, you know, if we, if we run for 30 seconds more, we could finish this piece and you know, we, no, 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 we're done, shut it down and guy walked off the floor. And of course, not knowing any, any different, I was like, what the heck is going on here? I was upset, right? And uh, the shop steward comes over to me and says, Gary, it's a new world. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: I see the same thing with a lot of large corporations. Um, They get so used to the process that they don't always look for an alternative solution to the problem. Mm. You know, whereas in entrepreneurs, we have to, we don't have that option and we need to solve problems quickly, quickly and creatively.
1: I mean, that's part of entrepreneurship. So you then went into your family business again. Is that right? I did. Um, My dad called me and said that he
0: was at the point where he was either going to sell the agency or retire and so I decided to come back and take over the agency. Hmm. And, I, you know, by that time, I lived in Detroit. I was only in Detroit for a year. I then mo- got moved back down to Dallas and actually did the first plant systems for Saturn Corporation when I was in Dallas.
1: Hmm.
0: And, you know, Saturn was actually General Motors' attempt to have a more modern approach to management. They were trying to mm-hmm. make decisions by consensus which mm-hmm. has its pluses and its minuses. You know, every time someone new came in, it was a whole new consensus and everything got revisited, which was a mm-hmm. little bit of a challenge. But I did have the opportunity then to come back um, from Texas, back to North Carolina and take over the agency, which I did. And I'm glad I did. You know, It was a great opportunity and um, ran the agency for a number of years, and, which is when I became a member of the board of the Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Fabulous experience. I have to say that the year I was president was probably one of my favorite years in business, period.
1: Mm. Yeah, you meet a lot of people and you get to see what's going on. Again, it's strategic, right? It's big picture. Exactly. And working with a lot of smart, interesting entrepreneurs. I mean, that had to really excite you.
0: Very smart, very successful people in the insurance industry, and that is a lot of fun. It's it, it yeah. is a great industry with some really excellent people in it.
1: So okay, let let's see. Uh, let's see. We got insurance. We've got EDS working on CAD CAM and projects with EDS. You go back into the business. What what's this whole thing you're doing now with marketing? I mean, I you know <laughs> I. Well, how how did that happen? The entrepreneur in you, right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. Well, when I was at the agency, I had gotten connected with uh, someone who was involved with Dan Kennedy. I don't know if you've heard of Dan Kennedy, truly a marketing legend, Um, thankfully still with us. And so I learned a lot about marketing because in the insurance industry, I know this is a shock, but there were very few people out there trying to push forward and be future thinking about how they marketed insurance. In fact, pretty much it was all strictly face to face sales. Occasionally telephone, you know, telephone cold calls, personal cold calls. It was really truly sales. People weren't doing the marketing at the agency level. Gotcha. Very few people. So I was really learning about that and I had the chance to to do that. I became a copywriting apprentice for um, a company that was in the insurance industry that marketed to agents um, while I was still running the agency and really fell in love with the whole process of marketing and the way that it approaches a relationship and it builds a relationship instead of just, I've got something I need money, you to give me money for, (laughs) you know, instead of it being Mm. just transactional, it became relational. And, you know, the insurance industry really does run on relationships Mm-hmm. You know, and the and with all of these sales tactics, people did want to build a relationship. But what I've realized now is that as you look at the the stages of of intimacy that Desmond Morris talks about, when you jump over steps in that those stages of intimacy, it feels like assault. And that's what sales felt like to me for so long because it felt like you were asking for the sale before you develop the relationship.
1: Mm.
0: And that's what I like so much about marketing and the way that I coach marketing is let's allow people to move along their customer journey in a way that makes the next step be a logical next choice for them. So you're walking along with them more as a guide than an adversarial, I've got something to sell, you've got my money in your pocket relationship.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I've i written some books on this stuff, you know, on sales leadership. And, and you know, when we talk about that, if if you're really doing the job of selling, quote unquote, you're really helping the person buy. You're not really selling. You know, it's, we're, you know, semantics with a lot of this stuff. But really what you're doing is helping the person. You're trying to find mm-hmm. something to help. The work that I do in leadership development, I'll talk to a CEO. I say, I have no idea if I can help you. Can you help me? You know, people will say that to you, right? Can you help mm-hmm. me? So, I don't know. I need to understand where you're at and what you're trying to achieve and what your goals are and where you're headed and what your strategy is. Uh, let's do that first and, you know, have a cup of coffee and find out something about each other, right? right. And, uh, so right. I, and insurance, I, 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 my impression is it's the same way we buy because of a relationship most of the time. So, and and interestingly enough, when we talk about this and you're kind of putting marketing on its ear a little bit by combining sales and marketing, as you understand it, that's fine. um, Is, is our definition of leadership starts with the ability to build relationships. Mm -hmm. But I like what you said at stages of intimacy. Can you talk a little bit about how do people make the mistake in these stages of intimacy where they They feel like they've been told, you know, you got to ask all these questions. you got to push the sale along. You've got to make progress. You know, you got, and I, I, Charlotte, I've, I can't tell you the number of times with sales teams I've said, you cannot speed up the sales process. You cannot. Okay. The customer, the client, the person that you're talking to has 100% control over the timing of it. The only thing that you can speed up in the sales process is everything that you do behind the scenes. How long does it take you to get a proposal to them? How long does it take you to get a team ready to uh, deliver for them? You know, the Mm -hmm. things that are in your control. It's the client that determines the timing, right? They should. (laughs) They absolutely should.
0: Right. Right. You know, and and one of the comparison that I have made in some of the the seminars and things I have taught is you think about a situation where if you went on a first date with someone and the first thing they said was, well, what do you want to name our kids? (laughs) That would be creepy, right? Really, really creepy. (laughs) And, you know, I see people do that. And I I do see, I think the, the transfer from marketing to sales should be seamless and it should be one team working together they should not be adversarial as they sometimes can be in some corporations i've seen but because it really and truly is um, building that relationship and as we talked about leading that person along and finding out what their needs are finding out what they're looking for finding out if you you can actually help them you have to be willing to say you know what I see that you've got a problem, but I'm really not the best person to mm-hmm. work with you. Maybe you know someone else that is or maybe you know another path for them, and I think it's wonderful to tell them, I think this is a better fit for you than what I do, you know, in 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 my business.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's integrity, right?
0: Yeah, you've got to be willing to look out what's best for that prospect as opposed to how much money can I extract from them? Because if you really are looking out for them and you really, and you are able to solve their problem and help them and give them a solution, then the money will follow. Yeah. Right. That that will just naturally come.
1: Well, and, and I, I use this as a parallel to leadership when we talk about leadership that this, this podcast is about, but when, when you're engaged with an employee and the only thing you care about is what you can get out of them. Right. Mm-hmm. With this, with a client, it's money. It's the opportunity. With an employee, it's it's work or or uh, work product. What can I get out of you, without building the relationship and really understand what what's their motivation, what's their mm-hmm. incentive, what's their passion for working with you? And it's the it's almost the same conversation.
0: Right. You know, and I think especially kind of I think it may be an older style of leadership. I mean, it's still a valid style of leadership. It's a very authoritarian leadership. I'm the boss, Mm -hmm. you're the employee, you do what I say. Well, certainly if you're in a life and death situation like the military, there's an aspect of military training where you need someone who is leading and can be authoritarian and make quick decisions because lives are at stake. In a surgical theater, you don't want the surgeon saying, I need a scalpel and the assistant saying, why?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> or yeah, I need a clamp. you know, well, why? What well, don't you think maybe this would be a better tool?
1: Well, um, I don't feel that my needs are being met right now. I don't want right? to give you the scalpel. <laughs> yeah, yeah not the time for that, right?
0: yeah, you know, but but I really look at leadership more um, of a a coaching approach of helping someone f- develop into their develop their own leadership ability, develop their own decision making ability, develop their skills. And so that is my approach when I'm working with customers is that I'm not coming in to boss you around and tell you what you need to do. I'm coming in to help you develop the skill that will help you carry this on permanently in your business. And, you know, I I say there's very few people that like to be bossed around, but almost everyone wants to be led.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when I when I I look at your website and I look at your LinkedIn and I I checked you out, I I love some of the things that you said on that. And I want to share this with you. So as we continue with this conversation is from a marketing standpoint, you're told as an entrepreneur to push out massive amounts of content in all formats, engage in multiple social channels, multimedia advertising. So you're everywhere at all times. And I can't tell you the number of times I've told people with my doctorate in business administration and marketing, 80 to 90% of marketing is research. It's research. And what does the research do? The research is helps you focus. Mm-hmm. And, and I love this quote that you had in there. The root cause of marketing overwhelm is uncertainty and uncertainty is expensive. And I, I want to create the picture because I love this picture that you have on your website and in in LinkedIn, it's like a ball of twine. You know, you look at this ball, that's just all kind of mixed up and it's all these lines and it's, and it's mixed and you point to it. And then you have this, this circle that's uh, clear in the center and kind of a, a nice circle that you're trying to move marketing from this uncertain, throw everything up on the wall, see what's thick, pile of spaghetti Mm -hmm. to a clear path and understanding of, of focus so that, You're talking to the right clients, the right possible clients with the needs that you have to offer. And I just love the way, I mean, you almost describe marketing in a few minutes, what I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. How did you get to that? How did you water this all down to a point where you almost can visually say, this is where I think you are. This is where you have to go. And it's fine. It it is uh, marketing starts with a solid foundation of strategy. That's the the, the thing. How did you get to that point? Is, did it develop over time?
0: It did. And, and part of it was just listening to entrepreneurs mm. and business owners get so frustrated because every time you go to another conference, it's like, oh, you need to be using this tactic. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing this. And you know, any one of those may work at any point in time, But I remember I knew someone back in the day when faxing was really big. remember before the can fax act where you couldn't, could no longer fax, um, advertisements. Our fax machines just used to run like crazy from people advertising, saying advertising faxes. Yeah. And I knew someone that had a, a business that was completely based on that. And then when that act passed that banned marketing faxes, uh, sales faxes or whatever spam, they went out of business because they didn't have another basis for reaching their customers. But I operate, because I'm a digital marketer certified partner, I use the digital marketer framework. And one and one of those frameworks is the growth triad, which is hmm. you need the documented journey, which is what we talked about, understanding what stage that buyer is in. Then you have your tools and tactics that you choose, and you match those to the, the stage in that journey. And then the last thing is your, meaningful analytics. Mm-hmm. So you're tracking what you need to track and you're not trying to track a thousand different data points. You're tracking what has the highest leverage and what can help you make a decision. So that's yeah. that's really where that framework came from. But I tell the story about you know the buyer's journey and saying the right thing to the person at the right time. I was in a at a position where I was decided I was going to get a new car. And I had done all my, as most people do now, they start their buyer's journey online and they'll do their research and do all that information. So I had researched everything. I had narrowed it down to two vehicles. So I went to the first dealership and I walked in. Now, mind you, I had my checkbook. This is how serious I was about buying. I was mm-hmm. not there to browse, I was there to buy. I fully intended to walk out of the showroom with a car. So I walk in there. I finally got someone's attention. And I said, I'm interested in this model. These are, these are the, the, the things I'm looking for on the car. Mm-hmm. So well, we don't really have that in stock, but here's some keys. If you want to go, here's a key. If you want to go drive one, <laughs> we're kind of busy right now with customers.
1: Oh. I'm hmm. like,
0: Oh, okay. okay. So I went and drove the car and I came back. He goes, well, what do you think? I was like, well, it's not exactly what I wanted. I said, is it possible to, um, talk about building one with your know, ordering one with a specific Order, yeah, you know, items that I want. He goes, well, you know, we, we're just really busy with other people today. Can you maybe come back on Thursday?
1: I'm like, wow.
0: Really? Hmm. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I went literally across the street to the other dealership and I walked in and I said, he goes, well, what can I help you with? I said, well, I'm looking for this model with these features. Um, And of course, they always ask, especially a woman, what color are you interested in? Right. And I was like, well, blue would be my first choice. White would be my second. But I'm really more concerned about these, you know, these features. And, And I told him which package and everything. And he goes, clearly you have done your research. I think I've got a car on the lot that will fit. So he took me out there. It had one additional feature than I had asked for. We drove the car. He, he went with me. He explained everything, made sure I understood how the car worked, asked me if I had any questions. And he walked back and I said, If you'll sell me the car for this amount, I'll write you a check right now. And I walked out of there. I think he made,
1: yeah. he made a sale. And <laughs> yeah. I said,
0: And you need to go across the street and buy this guy lunch. And he goes, Why? I said, Because he helped you make that sale.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because exactly. He
0: talk to me. Yeah. That's great. It it was because they didn't recognize where I was in the buyer journey, and they were trying to have a conversation with me that wasn't appropriate. Right, but but the second the second auto salesman knew was listening to what I said was very perceptive, and knew I wasn't at the awareness stage.
1: Right, right. He doesn't have to explain things. You've already done your research. That's right. Right. Yeah, he, he understood that, and probably understood it by listening and asking a few questions and you know, just assessing and that's why we say that uh, he he had both analytical skills and emotional intelligence and mm-hmm. emotional intelligence and decision making are the only two measurable scientific, uh, scientifically correlated characteristics of leadership effectiveness. And he had both, you know, he was able to make good decisions, analyze it and read emotionally where you were at, you know, so right. that's uh, good stuff. So I want to, I want to read one last thing because I just, I love this, uh, this quote that I, I read from you. It says, without strategy, all of your marketing is random and haphazard. Sure. Some of it will work. No one is that unlucky. know, <laughs> 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 yeah, You throw enough stuff up on the wall. Something's going to work. Right. Right. But if you don't have analytics to understand what's working and what's not working, it might work, but you won't know where to go. Well, you know, that old marketing quote
0: that that says half of my marketing is working. I just don't know which half.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And and um, my guess is that you have systems and processes to help people with strategy and tools and tactics to help them implement and analytics to help them make those decisions.
0: Absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the things we say is diagnosis before prescription. You wouldn't walk into a doctor's yeah. office and have him just hand you a prescription when he hasn't examined you and say, here, take yeah, this. Right. It's like, wait a minute. You don't even know what my problem is. Should be the same way with our marketing. We need to do mm-hmm. the diagnosis of what's going on. Where are the problems? What do we need to, to do before we start throwing a new tactic at it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. There's so many parallels to me as I look at this between marketing and leadership, you know, and if I was leading you and we're trying to figure out a performance situation, uh, what's the first thing I do? I need to diagnose. I don't just come in and Mm -hmm. say, Charlotte, you need to do this. You need to do that. You know, you brought up the whole military authoritative leadership style before and having been prior military. My dad prior military. My four brothers. My son with 108 years of military service. I think I know something about that style. Right, right. and it doesn't work. It doesn't mm-hmm. work in the in the workplace. There are seldom situations that are life threatening, critical. Right. And um, if we use that kind of style, because it's easy for the leader, it's really easy for mm-hmm. the leader. Just tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't don't need any real skill with that. Um, and uh, if something goes wrong, I can blame you easy. If you didn't understand, I blame you. I'll fire you and get somebody else. Good luck with that because that strategy Mm -hmm. doesn't work very well. So anyway, I I see a lot of parallels.
0: Yeah, I believe true leadership takes a lot more commitment from the leader because true Mm -hmm. leadership is developing that person that you're leading. It's not just getting the job done. It's getting to the goal while you're growing those people that are on the team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great way for us to wrap this up is just with that, with that quote. But I, I have to ask you the question I always ask people. I don't know if I, I prepared you for this, but I'm going to ask the question. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back to Charlotte 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, pick a number. Okay. And you can say, dear Charlotte, what would you have told yourself? What would you have told that younger Charlotte
0: I would have told her that yes while it's important to develop skills and gain knowledge, it's also extremely important to build relationships. Mm. Relationships, you know, strong relationships with your family, with your friends, with business associates because ultimately those relationships are often what is the difference between success and failure. Because I can look yeah. at back at so many situations where I was given an opportunity because of the relationship I had with someone. Now, absolutely, once I was in that position, I had to perform. But the relationship is what got me there. Or I had a relationship with someone who could help me solve a problem that I was having Mm -hmm. in business because I had taken the time to get to know them and know what they did. So that's what I would encourage myself to really be more cognizant of the value of relationships as you go through life.
1: Yeah, good Good stuff. Yeah, because for me, if uh, I now know where I need to go, if I want to start sailing, I'll get a That's hold right. of Charlotte. <laughs> you know, so one of the things that I do on these podcasts is, is as I'm taking notes, I'm trying to find I'm trying to find something that that would be the title. OK, and and I've got a few and I want to I want to share these. We're going to come to consensus, you and I okay. on what we think the title <laughs> ought to be. Right. The the more uh, kind of mundane one is uh, as entrepreneurs we make things happen. Okay, that's that's fine. I don't like that one. I'm going to tell you right up front. What the one that I liked is uh, what do you want to name our kids? And I, that was <laughs> you know put that in there. It's like yeah, not really appropriate. But then and then from your website I kind of like it. No one is that unlucky. So I, <laughs> we we had a couple of title possibilities. What do you think, Charlotte?
0: Well, I um, uh, you know, as a copywriter, I tend to go with um I, I love those, those are very clever titles. I tend to go with uh headlines and titles that really give them a peek into what we're gonna talk about. Okay. And um so uh, I might say something about the uh the secret framework that makes your marketing
1: work. Okay. That sounds awfully mundane. It's not okay. fun. I like okay. fun <laughs> you''re you're, right. you're being too analytical so uh, so maybe we say no one is that unlucky in marketing you know I, there we go know.
0: there we go yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we'll get we'll get marketing in there somewhere so that sounds great. It. well, Charlotte, thanks so much uh, Charlie Hicks, I really appreciate you spending the time today as we have this conversation about leadership and marketing and sharing your wisdom and your path. And uh, thanks so much for being our guest today. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Dr. Gary. This has been a lot of fun and a true privilege.
1: I'm Dr. Gary, and we make good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for listening to leading from the front where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember
0: to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit
1: statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot Music for Leading from the Front is
0: provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music... Visit PeterKatz.com.